Welcome to Health Media Now with award-winning author and host, Denise Messenger, for a lifetime of health empowerment. Live by being in the pink, meaning P stands for being persistent, I stands for using your intuition, N stands for networking, and K stands for obtaining knowledge. Our guests entertain and share cutting-edge information. They share with you what may have taken years to achieve through experience in their field. Become inspired and motivated. Reach your full potential with fascinating tips and products. Receive a lifetime of benefits from authors, doctors, practitioners, healthcare providers, and learn about exciting new products. You asked for it, and we deliver. Now, here's your host, Denise Messenger. Well, hello, listeners. Thank you so much for joining us today, which is April 26th, 2017. I really have a special guest today, Jeffrey Fidel. He is going to talk to us about bipolar disorder, and I believe that it affects a much greater portion of the population than we realize. Jeffrey, he refuses to live his life medicated with bipolar, and in near complete solitude, he endured almost a full year of intense mental anguish which is probably something none of us could relate to unless you actually experience it yourself. Uh, Utilizing mainly the ancient teachings, uh, he learned how to connect to a voice originating from his heart. And that voice within taught him what his true identity is. In other words, beyond thought. And that we we in the universe are really one. We're going to talk about his uh, number one bestseller book, which is called I Unnameable. And it gets into his journey on how he liberated himself from mental suffering. And he also helps others uh, kind of diagnose bipolar, which sometimes can be pretty difficult to do. And we're going to talk about you know, mentally ill people and depression, et cetera. So let me bring Dr. Fidel onto our show. Hello there. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, Thank you for having me, and thank you for the introduction. You are so welcome. Well, let's just get right right into it. (laughs) Um, I'm kind of curious, and I always ask this question, what path were you on before you you came into um, writing your book and overcoming your bipolar disorder? Well, I was living a typical Western lifestyle, so I was a radiologist. I still am a diagnostic radiologist, and I practiced for 20 years in private practice. And, you know, life was kind of, going along very well for me. I was married. Uh, I was pretty much just living my regular Western lifestyle. And what happened was when I got divorced, um, that was a a great trauma for me. Right around the same time, my dog also passed away. This all happened about two years ago. Um, And those two traumas, kind of sent me into a tailspin. And at the same time, uh, I also decided to voluntarily leave my job. And then I would take the greatest risk of my life and throw away my bipolar medications. Now, I'm 45 right now, so this was two years ago. I was medicated for 23 years, first for a diagnosis of depression, and then at 28 uh, for bipolar type one. Um, wow. I really, uh, I, I had to take this risk. I didn't know how dangerous it was. And by the way, I'm not recommending anyone do this. This is mm-hmm. no way a recommendation for people to try this. Um, mm-hmm. but for me, this was something that I needed to find out. What was, what is this, you know, why do I need to be medicated my whole life according to medical society? So I needed to find this out, and um, it almost cost me my life. But uh, now mm. I'm here to tell the story. Great. 
Let's hear it. So life. So you know. We, so we basically talked about what life events triggered. Um, right. Everything, and then um, this process really took you inward. And how did you come up with even that to do that? Well, uh, I guess in a way I was lucky. I there's just a lot of luck involved in the whole thing. Um, because when I threw out my medications, I didn't know, but um, the thoughts that I were having were my reality at that time. So my mind was slowly seeping into states that would be called, you know, schizophrenia, all kinds of states of mind that I wasn't aware that I was falling into because it was my reality at that time. Mm-hmm. In other words, everything that came into my mind, whatever thought or whatever vision I believed to be true at that time. Okay. So after throwing out the meds, uh, I was living uh, my life uh, thinking everything was okay in my mind, but and but it wasn't. Um, by chance, I had also run across the uh, the Tao Te Ching, which is um, a book is kind of a guide to the to discover oneself um, or really to uh, connect with one's heart. Um, so um, right about the same time, I started reading that book as well. Okay. And, you know, um, eventually I got to the point where I had thoughts of suicide and I didn't really know what to do. Um, and I did not want to take my life. So I was able to discover another voice within myself uh, that we all have. Um, And this is what the ancient teachings show. And it's that voice that I connected with. And uh, over time, I was able to come out and tell the story. Was this voice in your subconsciousness? This voice actually comes... From our heart, it's our inner voice. Uh, some people might call it, uh, I guess there's all different names. It's it's really, I mean, it could also be called our conscious. It's really, um, it's kind of like how all humans know what's right and wrong intrinsically. In fact, almost every religion is written about it, you know, um, what we should be doing as human beings. It's really our mm-hmm. truest nature. Um, and, and we all have that inside of ourselves. We intrinsically know in many ways what's right and wrong. And it's really how closely we follow that um, that's going to determine our inner peace. And I actually uh, appointed that voice as my teacher. And I would learn directly from that voice for the months to follow. Hmm. Were you in some form of meditation? in this process? Um, well, at the time, uh, it was, I was in torment because I didn't know I was, I'm a medical doctor. I didn't, wasn't taught I'm supposed to have another voice inside of myself. So I was utterly confused. I actually thought that the voice was controlling me is what I thought. Mm-hmm. Um, so to trust in some voice and a voice that one cannot see is about as faithful as one can be. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the faith I had in the voice. Uh, you know, to this day, I still, this is what I mean is I can trust myself to the point where who am I trusting is that I'm trusting my inner consciousness to the point that I can actually listen to myself. I have full trust in what I do. So there's okay. no, inner conflict, um, and we all have that within ourselves. If you were talking right now to someone with bipolar, what would you tell them to do first? The first thing I would tell them to do is to practice being present. I think it's the most important thing is because really the only thing that separates a person from the state of living a life of non-suffering 
is thoughts in their mind. So for anyone, whether it's bipolar, depression, anxiety, the only barrier between living a peaceful life and living a life of torment is really the thoughts that are in one's mind. Mm -hmm. So to be able to just sit in presence and allow thoughts to come and go without attaching to them is probably the first step to Mm -hmm. um, come to this realization of why the present moment is so very important and why really the only barrier between a person enjoying life or not enjoying life is how closely they listen to the narrative of thought that's going on in their mind while they live, while they walk around. But probably the most difficult feat is quieting your mind. Yes, because thinking has become very habitual in modern society. Mm-hmm. And what you said is very important. I think that's why these older teachings of coming back, that people you know, come to this realization that they're sitting in front of their computers or they're in constant states of stimulation, their mind is just completely activated with thoughts all day, either auditory or visual. And even young kids today, they're walking around mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. in very heavy thought states. And I think that's why we're seeing many young children even medicated today is because really the boundary between the realization that the moment of now is a peaceful place to be, and the only thing that's really causing the chaos is the thinking mind. That's the mm-hmm. that's the veil that's uh, preventing someone from seeing uh, the peace that's always present in the you know in the present moment. You know, it it makes me think how at times in one's life you're in crisis, and it. It could be a multitude of reasons why. At that time, it's really tough to stop the mind from playing those tapes over and over and over again, which in essence then create more fear, more anxiety, and you're still not getting to the root of it. That's exactly right. And what you said is actually important. It's the cycling of the same repetitive thoughts. And what's even worse and how it affects our whole body is because the individual can't really tell the difference between whether there's a real external threat or whether it's the thought in their mind. And we see this in war all the time. People go to war, they come back, and they have flashbacks. They replay the war in their minds over and over again. So even though they're at home, they're still at war because their mind can't let go of the war. Mm -hmm. Their mind's attached to it, and that wreaks havoc on their entire body because they're living their whole rest of their life in war, even when they get back home, and that causes Mm. heart problems, hypertension. Uh, The whole body is reacting to their, their replaying of the events over and over again. So when we were talking earlier about what you would say to someone that has bipolar, in other words, what's the first thing that you would recommend they do, you want them to quiet themselves. What do I think, you do I think, if you I think can't? the thing is not even to control the thoughts, so to speak, uh-huh. not to control the thoughts. But you see, every thought that comes to our mind, and this is what I would teach them, because this is what I did, you know, and and having gone through this myself, this is really what I'm trying to teach people. Uh, We have a thought that comes to our mind, and then we have a decision to make, as the being of us has a decision to make. In other words, we have a thought that appears in our mind, and then the being has a decision. Do we take an action on that thought, or we don't? So part of the discipline is to just allow the thought to come and go without taking an action. So we might have a thought that says, uh, I want to go out with my friends. And we could either get up and go and run out with our friends or we could allow that thought to come and go without doing that. Because every thought that comes to our mind is not necessarily a good decision. 
In fact, most of our decisions become habitual and not even things that we really want to do. It's just that we we we, we almost, you know, we're creatures of habit. So to have the discipline to start to just allow our thoughts to come and go without acting on each thought is one of the first practices that I would recommend. Yeah, that's that clarifies it really well. What's an egoic self? So an egoic self is a thought-based identity. So, for example, my egoic self is Jeffrey Fidel, who grew up in New York. It's the story of who I am. And even when I say I, I don't mean I, because I am are my thoughts. Actually, these are pronouns that I acquired in my mind very, very early in childhood. Even without any thoughts in my mind, I still have an intrinsic existence. But the egoic identity or the thought-based identity is that story that's stored in our mind. Um, And that's the egoic self. It's the thought-based identity. So my egoic self is I am Jeffrey Fidel from New York. I have parents. Uh, I have an older brother. It's my story. That's the egoic self. Okay. So how does this play into bipolar? So bipolar is an egoic identity, meaning if 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 someone is bipolar, they're pretty much have two states of mind. That's why they call it bipolar. It used to be called manic depression. So no person is bipolar. Really what bipolar is describing is the states of mind. So the depressive state of mind of, of bipolar, there's two, two states, depression and mania and bipolar. So the depressive part of bipolar is when a person hears thoughts in their mind that says, I'm depressed, I feel worthless, these repetitive thoughts, even they could even be suicidal, I want to end my life. These are depressive thoughts. So every time the person hears that thought, and if they're identified with those thoughts, their whole being becomes in that state. So if they hear a thought, I don't want to live anymore, they might actually take their life, meaning the being of them might hear the thought in the mind and do that. So that's the depressive, that's the depressive portion of it. And then, you know, the mania could either be when their mind stops thinking, and this is actually what I had done subconsciously at the time, now I know, because thinking is really only, is the same thing as talking to oneself. Instead of saying the words out loud, when we think, we're not saying the words out loud, we're just saying them and hearing them in our mind. So... The way when I was manic, subconsciously at the time, I had shut myself off from thinking. Uh, and when I did that, and I could even do it today, and now I, you know, I could replicate it. I'm not recommending people do this, but when I did that, my, uh, my senses became very heightened because there were no words in my mind anymore. So my sense of smell and taste all were very heightened and... And then I had new thoughts in my mind that I thought that I discovered, like, the origins of the universe. And they were very bizarre, grandiose thoughts that occurred in my mind. So, and I'm sure a lot of people that are labeled bipolar could relate to this. So I was basically stuck in these two mind states. Either I had no thoughts with heightened senses and these thoughts that then I had discovered something and I was unique in some way. Or I had the other thoughts where I had felt worthless and I didn't want to go any, go on anymore. My mind had become locked in those two thinking states, two cyclical Tortures. thinking states, and that was it. It's like That's all my mind had available for me. Right. Of course, the medications use, that I use, you know, they numbed my mind, and that's really how those medications worked. What made you decide to go off the med- medications? Well, I mean, this is a personal decision. Again, I'm not recommending this, but for me personally, I felt like I walked around like a numb zombie. 
Okay. I, I, I didn't enjoy my life anymore at in that way. Okay. Uh, this was a risk that I per, it was a personal sure. decision sure. that I made. Right. Um, and I felt that uh, I was going to find an answer one way or another, mm-hmm. um, not knowing that, not knowing, this is why I'm saying it's dangerous, not knowing what was going to happen mm-hmm. over the months to come when I when my mind was going to seep into these other states. Like I said, only now can I know that those were thoughts. But but when it's happening in the mind of an mm-hmm. individual, it's their reality. It's a, it's a dream in an awake state. And when one is in the dream, convince one otherwise is not going to sell. They're not going to buy the story of someone that's telling them that their dream is not real. Let me ask you this. Um, I've interviewed um, other other doctors on my show, and... Uh, in one instance, we were talking about the brain. When you're on um, medications that that affect your brain chemistry, um, it was this particular person's um, scientific um, discovery. Those medications re- rewire your brain. And to go off them, it can be very, very difficult to normalcy once you've been on them. Have you heard that? Well, the medications certainly have an effect on the brain. There's no doubt. And just like any other substance, there is a withdrawal process because there's a physical dependency on the medications. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's different theories of how each medication works. You know, Depakote, Lamictal, these are the popular drugs. Uh, Risperdal, they all have their proposed mechanisms of how they work, and one can look mm-hmm. them up in the literature and see the biochemical mechanisms of how they're working. Uh, of course, they're in some way modifying the way the brain is working. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the root cause of why those thoughts are being produced is not being addressed. That's that's the medications mm-hmm. are are not going to the root cause. They are modifying, you know, the electrical impulses that are creating thoughts. But that's really the level they're working on. They're working on the thought level. They're not working below the thought level. And you know, the journey inward for me was going beyond thought because mm-hmm. actually all the visual hallucinations that I had um, had to do with unresolved issues that I had when I was a little boy. Um, mm-hmm. And so only by forgiving those uh, processes, and this is internal forgiveness, I was able to detach from these thoughts that were running cycles in my mind throughout my entire life. Um, so if I'm going to prescribe also the greatest medicine we give is that's to forgive any perception that our mind has that someone's wronged us. And then also to forgive ourselves that we have a perception that we've wronged another. And that's really how we alleviate a lot of the internal anger and guilt that will only affect us. Mm-hmm. That's that's good advice. What is your I identity now? Well, when I say the word I, I don't mean the word I. Mm-hmm. So I, I, when I say I am, even when we're having this discussion, I keep saying I, I. So I know that that's the conceptual I or the thought that comes and goes. Notice if I look for I, I can never find I. Where is it? Um, mm-hmm. it's nowhere to be found. So, you know, I've been, like anyone else, when we when we speak, we say I, me, you, these words right. that have no real meaning to them. Even when I speak to you, you're not a you. <laughs> that would reduce you to the word you, which you're clearly not. Or if we say we, our minds automatically it's 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 since such early childhood when we say the word we and there's eight people around our minds automatically come up with the perception that we're referring to the eight of us around 
Whereas mm-hmm. we could also mean two billion people if we or even two people. So they're all conceptual ideas that really have no intrinsic truth to them, uh, these words. You know, in your book, you you have a chapter uh, that talks about my mind's conversation with God. Um, You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so at the time, see, now I know that that's not true. But at the time, and this is why it's so dangerous, when my mind was hearing voices, that voice in my mind, according to me at the time, was God talking to me. Oh. Yeah, like I don't don't believe that now. But at the time, uh, that's what was happening. And at the time, my mind produced... um, like clouds aligned in the sky to the sound of my voice. This all happened in my mind. This was this is labeled as a state of mind called the spiritual emergency. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's such a scary state of mind. Now, I didn't know what to do. I almost Baker acted myself, but I lived in this state of mind. Um, I just kept going no matter what. I was never going to stop. Um, and... You know, now I know that these are all thoughts. So, but this is what I'm saying. At that time when it was happening, even the voice in my head said that I was going to be put to death um, if I did wrong. And I was screaming um, for mercy Mm -hmm. uh, because whatever my mind or my thoughts were telling me, you know, I thought I was. That that voice in my head was my reality at the time. So the difference now is my thoughts are my thoughts. They're not even my thoughts because the word my even like says that there's ownership to thought. They're, they're thoughts. Um, thoughts are like any other form. They come and they go. Um, and, and, and so, yeah, so in my book, you know, the first part of the book really just is a description of the states of mind that I endured, the thoughts that came through my mind that I really thought were my reality at the time. But now mm-hmm. I, but now I know that they're just thoughts. So, um, you, you talk about how you surrendered all your previously acquired beliefs about yourself. This is correct. Mm-hmm. Um, so the only way to learn from this inner voice was to this is my journey inward everyone has their own means of of coming to the realization the moment of now is where life occurs but Mm -hmm. for me my journey inward was um i had to completely surrender this conceptual identity that was stored in my mind in order that I can learn from the inner voice that I had. Um, and, 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 you know, this is, this is very hard for even a psychiatrist um, to hear this story, uh, but this is really what was necessary for me to now know that I am not my thoughts. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so... I didn't know I was going to get the story of who I was back. So at the time, I when, when I um, at the time I, I I went into a state that would be labeled by psychiatry as complete depersonalization, where I looked in the mirror and I didn't know who I was seeing anymore. Mm-hmm. See, all, all all these states of mind that are labeled by psychiatry, they have very very um, you know, they do have very deep uh, subconscious underpinnings. There's no, there's no doubt about it. You know, my personal journey, I had to go through the states of mind now to know really what, what it was behind each of those thoughts, uh, and then to come out to now know that they were just thoughts. Um, and really, it was just about loving and accepting myself um, within. And, you know, no doctor, no medication, no no anyone can do that for me. 
mm-hmm. the only one that could have given myself this gift. No one can say, love yourself, Jeff. Uh, <laughs> okay, fine. Mm-hmm. Great, I'll love myself. I had to be the one that really wanted to take this uh, journey in and and fill in what was missing from inside of me. Because my whole life up until that point was really to find love and acceptance from outside of myself. And it mm-hmm. wasn't until my outside world fell apart that I had to go in and find love and acceptance within myself. And that, I'm the only person in the world that could have taken this journey. And that's what I decided to do. And that's what I found. It's so true. I think that's um, something that a lot of us go through, you know. We journey that way. You got to love yourself before you can love other people too. That's entirely correct. Um, mm-hmm. It does work that way. Mhm. Hmm. Well, uh, you know, bipolar disorder. Does it come in a lot of different forms? Well, I mean, in the end, like I said before, I think that there's there's going to be endless classifications by the modern mental health society of how many bipolar. I think there might be six categories. I think when I was first diagnosed, there might have only been two. I don't know how many different categories they come up with lately. Uh-huh. But, but the underlying issue is still the same. What? Mm-hmm. What's causing the person suffering, whether they're diagnosed bipolar, depressed, schizophrenic, anxious, is their thinking mind. Um, Would you say unresolved issues? Oh yes, but, but that mm-hmm. but that goes for like all of humanity because even someone that's medicated and is labeled as bipolar, they're really no different than anyone else that's going to war and killing other people. It's just that, for example, for me, uh, like I would I would take most of the anger that I took out, I'd, I'd put upon myself. Now, for another person, they might take their anger out on the world in some mm-hmm. way. And actually, we mm-hmm. see that on the news every day, people shooting missiles and mm-hmm. taking their internal suffering out on the world that's really what they're doing i mean because no one that has love and acceptance inside of themselves would be killing other people it just it doesn't happen that way so you know a lot of people that are bipolar you know they're not they're, people are not bipolar their thinking processes are uh so these thinking processes are like you say they're a lot of them are unresolved um, issues that could date all the way, all the way back to very early childhood. Mm-hmm. We're talking like the very beginning. And the inability to let go of these events is really what's causing most of the human suffering today. Uh, and it's not easy to let go of events. But in the end, if the mind doesn't release the perception of, of, of anger either towards another or towards oneself, the only person that's going to suffer, unfortunately, is the person that doesn't let go. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's and that's it. And by not letting go, you know, much of the medication is really uh, geared towards, you know, whether the people know it or not. I could speak from personal experience. I had two large events in my life I couldn't let go of. Me, when I say I, I mean my... My thoughts were repeating the same visions over and over again. And then my being, my entire body were reacting to the point where I was punching holes in the wall at the time. You mm-hmm. know, uh, mm-hmm. I couldn't get, my mind could not get past that. So the gift I gave myself was to unconditionally forgive what what those events were and the people or my perception of, of what they had done wrong, and that was how I was able to liber my, liberate myself from these uh, repetitive cyclical thinking processes that 
uh, were wreaking hot havoc upon my whole body. How long did it take you to get through the whole the whole process? <laughs> I, I mean, it took, was, I'm uh, sure it took over ongoing, a year. But, uh, it, yeah. it probably took 14 months or so at least. Um, and I couldn't never go back to a psychiatrist because if any time during these dates I had gone back, you could only imagine if I said to the doctor that I was speaking to God or or or, or that I had thoughts of suicide, I would have been immediately mm-hmm. medicated or 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 hospitalized. So mm-hmm. uh, this was something that I had to do uh, myself. Um, it was my personal decision. I'm not recommending this, but. The whole process, it took a little over a year, but, but, you know, it's, it's not like, it's not like I'm in a state of happiness. You know, people, that's not my goal is to be happy. My goal is really to be able to just experience life. It's never to be walking around smiling all day. The difference now is now I can cry or I can actually experience life. Uh, And I, and th- and this is the whole difference is everything that i subconsciously protected now i can feel again you know this mm-hmm. is the huge difference so life happens and i accept what it is in this moment of now and that's really how my life goes on right now it's not like mm-hmm. i'm walking around smiling and happy all day <laughs> i'm just um I have to be in acceptance of what life is, uh, mm-hmm. and that's really, you know, what it's come to. I live in the present moment. Whatever that moment brings, I accept. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, I have no more religious beliefs or anything. I just, I just know, um, you know, before when I speak of I, and this is this this is the myself at the time and when we speak of the egoic self i thought that i was separate from the existence outside of me or the universe as we label it uh but but now i know myself um also i walk around i do my day-to-day things as jeffrey fidel but i also have this other knowledge of being you know of the essence self meaning the which is not a self at all it's just knowing uh, to be woven into the fabric of of the existence, yes, you know, which you, to me um, right now is very obviously because everything that makes me up is made of the universe. It's all scientifically mm-hmm. proven. Um, right. And there's no, you, you can't physically take a person out of the universe. And we really don't have to look far away at the stars to see the universe. The universe is also right here in front of us. Anytime we're looking at each other, we're looking at the universe too. Mm -hmm. I mean, we don't have to define the star as the universe. When we're looking at ourselves, we're looking at the universe because what's a universe or an existence? Mm -hmm. It includes Mm -hmm. everything, including our minds. Um, Mm -hmm. That's the whole concept of what a universe is. It's it's all-inclusive, so... The universe is here, and it's there. It's everywhere, um, and we're molecules. all part of it. So, so molecules. the universe isn't something to figure out. It's just who we are. It's it, Everything's molecules, right? Atoms, molecules. Um, well, that's a conceptual idea uh, to break it into the word molecule because no one's ever isolated a molecule mm-hmm. just as just as well as no one's ever isolated a self. Like, there's no way to take this Jeffrey Fidel entity and take him out of the surrounding. It's not possible. Everyone is woven into the fabric. So, but this is what I'm saying. Even if we name something molecule, no one's ever isolated something called a molecule. It's not possible. No one's ever isolated something called an electron or even a quark or a neutrino. These are conceptual ideas. They're tools to do science. You know, language is a tool, and so is science. These are all tools that can do wonderful things. But they're not intrinsically true. Uh, If I name something a telephone, that doesn't mean 
The telephone's a, a convenient way to communicate. Like, hey, can you please hand me that phone? Uh, but the word phone doesn't recreate the actual essence of, of what a phone is. And no two phones are the same, even though they could both share the word phone. So language mm-hmm. can kind of get a little bit... Um, uh, in other words, naming something is not understanding something. Right. How... You'll see, like, even the word molecule, um, a couple thousand years ago there was no word molecule, and yet things still worked. <laughs> how, how do your um, friends, family, uh, business associates see you now? versus how they saw you before? Well, that's an interesting question. Uh, <laughs> well, they've seen a radical change. Um, I think it's 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 really... For my parents, for example, um, I think our family thrived on the conflict. Uh, so... You know, it's still it's still a practice for me. Uh, so the difference is is that I don't engage back in the in the argumentative side that that has persisted. Uh, I just kind of um, do my best to stay reserved because there's mm-hmm. still um, you know I walked away from my practice as a physician. Now there is a strong undercurrent in my family to be a physician. So my mother was not very pleased and she's still not pleased today that I walked away from my physician uh, as a physician. So there's disapproval on their end because they have a belief system of what they wanted for me and what's best for them. And they still think that that's best. But um, so I think you know, in the past, I might have uh, acquiesced or gave in to, like, what the pressures, uh, but now I know that I, I just kind of hold my own um, and I don't argue back in any way with my parents. So in this way, I mean, there's been a drastic change in the interaction between mm-hmm. uh, the family Um and of course, uh, you know, one of the major things that I had to do, uh, you know, was completely love my family, um, and 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 love other people that I once perceived to to have uh, wronged me. Mm-hmm. Um, and this mm-hmm. to change this whole thing. Um, you know that takes it takes a lot of inner strength to do these things, but in the end, the only you know I'm the one that benefits, and anyone else that does these things, um, they get the benefit of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're not they're not easy things to do, but uh, boy, um, there's no better medicine that can ever be given to somebody. Um, and yeah, I mean, you know, it goes it, back to what we're we were talking about earlier, which is forgiveness. It's that hook that no longer is in you. Forgiveness is huge. I, I think it, forgiveness is a very difficult thing. Uh, you know, we're taught in society, or many of the teachings, are that we forgive somebody or we say that we're sorry to somebody outside of ourselves. You know, we... Mm-hmm. But then there's the inner forgiveness, which really is what it's all about. And this is mm-hmm. our ability that only we can do this to unconditionally forgive within ourselves. That means to completely let go of the perception that we've been wronged by another person. Uh, and to also forgive ourselves if we feel that we have wronged another person. Mm-hmm. When it gets to the point where this forgiveness is unconditional them it's like five billion pounds lifted off and Mm -hmm. it's really um there's no describing what it is Uh, it's it's uh it's a liberation that cannot be (laughs) but the only problem is and and i have to say it from personal experience when i did this 
this level of forgiveness, I was so used to walking around angry all day that I almost felt like I had no <laughs> and no fuel in me because I was really my whole life I was running on um like an adrenaline drive. I was just pumped mm-hmm. up full of anger all day. And then after I did all this inner forgiveness, it was almost like I almost couldn't walk around anymore because all the adrenaline, anger became like a drug for me my whole life. So when I Mm -hmm. did this forgiveness, it was almost like I had no more, my whole sympathetic system was like shut down. My adrenaline was shut down. And I felt like I almost couldn't move because anger was like such a drug for me when I was doing this oh. stuff. I was like, oh, my God, this feels really weird. I almost didn't mm-hmm. feel like a man anymore. That was my perception initially because I felt like, you know, to be macho, which I had a a, a strong perception was to walk around kind of like, you know, Mr. Tough Guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I let go of all this stuff, um it was it was almost like I couldn't hold <laughs> that adrenaline had like I didn't have it anymore, and it was very difficult for me mm yeah i i can I can relate to that for sure uh, and it, it's kind of it's kind of interesting when you think about it because you know to get to that level of forgiveness really does um release you from your own inner cage you might say <laughs> um, but I I personally have also learned that I have gotten to the point of forgiveness but I will never forget you kind of know what I'm saying in that realm um, oh yes absolutely um, because because there's, there, there's this, this issue of you still need to protect yourself um, from entities that have uh, have a negativity that affects you in a negative way. So you yeah, can there forgive. won't be a forgetting. Uh, you know, the main thing yeah. is that when the thought comes into the mind that might be mm-hmm. disturbing, mm-hmm. the the whole thing that I'm trying to put forth here is that we don't allow that thought to cause a reaction in our whole body. Mm-hmm. And it right. can do that if we allow it to. Mm-hmm. So really the forgiveness is not going to be forgetting it. The forgiveness is not reacting to it and not holding on to it either. So when that thought comes, allow the thought to come and go without reacting to it in any way. And without bringing it back all the time, all day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because these thoughts can be extremely repetitive. I mean, they can really run all day the same thought over and over sure. again. Uh, and so non-attachment is the ability to to let go of, of those thoughts and and ideally in the end they're just they just become thoughts like any other thought the thought of someone that we don't like can be the same as the thought of um uh, what you know where are we going for dinner tonight those mm-hmm. two become completely equal mm-hmm. and you know it it's a discipline of course to do these things but the favor that we do ourselves for it is very large and and I know they're not difficult I, I know they're very difficult things to do especially in some horrendous cases I mean you know there are people that are holocaust survivors or there are people that have gone to war and seen atrocities I mean we all have our our traumas in life Mm-hmm. But how many times we're going to keep repeating it in our mind over and over again and react to it? That's really going to be the reacting to it is really up to us. Mm-hmm. And how many times we decide to play the reel over and over again is, <laughs> in a way, up to us also. Yeah. Uh, 
Well, we're running out of time. I can't believe how quick the time has gone. It's just been fascinating talking with you. Would you please tell our listeners how they can obtain your book and your website? Yes, the best way to obtain the book, they could just go to Amazon and put in my name, I think is the easiest way, which is Jeffrey Fidel, J-E-F-F-R-E-Y, Fidel, F like in Frank, I-D-E-L, M-D, Jeffrey Mm -hmm. Fidel, M-D. If they search like that, they can find it on Amazon. But the name of the book is, they could also search in that way, is I, and then the subtitle, so it's I, then the a colon, and then it's I, unnameable. And then the website is just my name, uh, jeffreyfidelmd.com. Well, you know, in closing, I just want to um, personally tell you that I'm really proud of you for the work that you've done and the book that you've written and the message and teachings that you're putting forth out into the universe. And I thank you for that. Oh, thank you very much. And really, at this point, it's it's really my goal um, to help people to look within themselves. So that's really what I've done is try to develop a lot of the uh, practices and teachings that I utilize and share those uh, with with other people uh, so that they can, you know, find inner peace. Because I think in the end, that's really what uh, we're striving for. Yeah, we have one life and one life to live. And we try to do it the best way that we know how. (laughs) Thank you so much. Take care. All right. Thanks for having me. Bye-bye. All right. That pretty much concludes our show for today. Thank you so much for listening. And we'll have another great guest and show for you again next Wednesday. So please tune in. Until then, be well. Bye-bye. We celebrate our listeners worldwide and invite you to contact Denise at www.healthmedianow.com with any questions you may have. And follow her on Twitter at Health Media Now and Facebook at Health Media Now. For those interested in an advertising campaign on her show, contact Lisa at knowledgeworkspub.com. Be sure to visit gotcancernowwhat.com for information on Denise Messenger's award-winning book, Got Cancer? Now What? The entire contents of this radio show are based upon the opinions of Denise and her guests. It's not intended to replace a one-on-one relationship with a qualified healthcare professional, and it's not intended as medical advice. We're simply sharing knowledge and information. We encourage you to make your own healthcare decisions based upon your research and in partnership with a qualified healthcare professional of your choice. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration.